Welcome to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively captures insightful conversations with people contributing to advancement of space activities in India. The New Space India podcast is pleased to announce our association with Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing business and people with collaborative virtual environments to imagine sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups small and medium sized enterprises and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellite propulsion recently a supply chain digitization study with dassault systems was conducted to provide a foundational understanding of the supplier landscape in the indian space ecosystem please use the link in the description to download the public white paper of the results of this study which will also give you a perspective on how ready indian suppliers are to enter the global space market hi and welcome to the new space india podcast and uh, today we have dr deganet i hope i'm getting your name right she is uh, an expert from israel and also has written quite a lot about israel and india welcome deganet to the show welcome and thank you for having me it's, re- it's a real real pleasure I have a very warm uh place in my heart for india space program absolutely and uh thank you for that let's start with a quick uh, background i've read of course your background before and you have a very interesting background with political science and mix with space for example one of the unique backgrounds i would say of people uh, around in the world looking at the lens of space from the political science background so tell us a little bit about what got you into space uh you know how did you pick up this lens of political science with space and you know for the last 20 years what you've been doing i i actually started um my began my journey in high school when i was very privileged to be able to learn astrophysics in high school one one class one semester and that opened my mind um but later on as i proceed with my um with my studies i came to the conclusion that this is not something that i'm going to study uh, further on in the university so i went to a um, a different route and i chose international relations and political science and then when i be- when i started my masters um one of my professors his name is uh, isaac ben israel and He's a very well-known um, man in Israel. He has very um, a lot of credit Israel should give him for what he has done for the country. And he just joined Tel Aviv University as head of the program, a graduate program for security studies. And he was searching for a research assistant. I didn't know him. I didn't know of his work at the time, but I got the job. and we started working together and after 6 months i knew that that was my passion technology and political science technology and international relations that was his field and that is what got me into this uh, wonderful i i should say and fascinating world so i specialize on space and and politics or space and international strategy but i also do um other um fields of technology such as emerging technologies cyber uh, nuclear things that are very much close uh, at least in my mind 
uh, also to space because it's a lot about information technologies. So this is how I got into that. And um, the work with Professor Ben Israel taught me a lot about the connection between theory and practice. And it, and it gave me a glimpse of how decisions are being made, how they are taken. And he also gave me the opportunity to actually get involved in decision-making on space policy issues in Israel. And in the last decade, I've been very much involved with the um, civil space program in, in Israel. So, um, so that's a wonderful privilege that I've got. And he was also my advisor when I was doing my PhD. Right, and one of the interesting aspects here to lay the foundation for this particular episode, I would say is, uh, to know what is the foundation of Israel's own space program. It's quite clear to many people around the world what is the foundation of the US space program or the Russian space program given the Cold War and so on. So can you give us an outlook as to what is the foundation of the Israeli space program? And you talked about the civil space program where you're involved and the military of course has its own space capabilities and so on. Did the military once have the precedence over the civil or you know how how all of these have evolved in the last 50 60 years yeah okay so that, that's a good that's a good point uh, so we have to go back to the 70s um, if we want to talk about the foundations um, so Israel has a legacy in space for almost 40 years and the beginning is in the 70s. Um, Israel is, uh, we, we can go way, way back even to the 60s, but I think the, the, the major story begins in the 70s. Um, Israel suffers a very um, difficult um, surprise attack in 73, which we uh, call the Yom Kippur War. And this is Israel's Pearl Harbor, if I, if I may say for the Indian audience to, to get a glimpse of, of the uh, strategic um, thinking about, about this war in Israeli memory and Israeli decision-making. So with that, um, the top level military personnel and decision-making at the political at the top political levels in Israel, they are facing the question, how can we assure that Israel will not suffer another surprise attack? Okay, so this is, this is one, one type of, of thinking, um, which results in the idea in, in, some of, uh, in some groups in Israel that maybe there is a need for self-reliance in space in terms of um, surveillance um, and remote sensing capabilities. Um, so several times Israel is seeking cooperation with the Americans, for example, and she's being refused. So, and that um, enhances the notion that Israel needs to be self-reliant in, in many fields, actually, not just in space. And I think this is uh, where Israel is very much similar to India. Um, if, if I may say, although there are great differences, Israel is a very, very small country and India is, uh, I think, uh, uh, second largest or, or, or the large country in the world in terms of population, at least, but they, they, they share many similarities and the idea of self-reliance is, I think, is, is one of the things that they share. So anyway, 
um, so with the with the memory of the war, one thing, and and then in seventy seven came the peace agreement with Egypt, um, and the peace agreement made a very um, I should say actual need for intelligence, and and why is that? Because once the agreement is signed, Israel must find a way to make sure that um, it will not be um, under another surprise, okay? And flying over Egypt to make sure the agreement is in place is not something that Israel will be able to do once there's an agreement. So the question is, how can you verify, okay, that, that everything is okay? How can you verify that peace is actually uh, on, on the agenda? And so one of the teams that was working on how to um, adjust to the new strategic situation came um, with the um, idea of developing for Israel uh, space capability and focusing on remote sensing. Uh, head of that team was at the time Colonel Chaim Eshed, or later on he became for uh, the next 30 years, the head of the space program in the Ministry of Defense. So it was a long process to convince the, the, the people at the high political level to actually agree to this idea, but eventually they came through. And in 81, the program was uh, approved. They got a green light. And in 1988, Ofek One, which is the first Israeli satellite, was launched from the shores of Israel on an indigenous launch capability that Israel also developed in parallel uh, and became the first Israeli satellite. So that's the, that's the, in a brief, that is the history. The motivation is security considerations. And that has been with us um, until uh, 2010. Uh, and then we also developed the Israeli civil space program in much more um, depth. Yeah, absolutely fantastic in, in that sense. And let's now take the bridge towards uh, India and Israel in that sense. Yes. From what I know, I don't know much about uh, history between countries and so on, but from what I know, it took some time for Israel and India to talk to each other and India to also to develop a, a relationship, a working relationship with Israel as the state was formed. Uh, what are the foundations of India and Israel in space? How did it start and who are the people involved and what were the early conversations like? Yeah, so... Um... As, as I said before, I, I see a lot of similarities between India and Israel in terms of history, of culture, of strategic culture. Uh, both came out of the British Empire, both came uh, became independent around the same time in Israel in 48 and India in 47. Um, and they both had leaders who very, at the beginning, who very much believed uh, in the importance uh, of investing national efforts, great national efforts in science and technology for fast development. 
Um, at the time, Israel was uh, suffering great difficulties, uh, large waves of immigrations coming, um, economic situation was, was, not, uh, uh, was not easy. And, and I think in that sense, Israel and India were very much facing similar issues, although I'm very much aware of the big differences. So under the overarching theme of the Cold War, uh, there was not much of cooperation between the two countries. Um, Israel uh, was very, very fast aligned with the West and India was leading the non-aligned countries. Um, so that prevented uh, close connections at the time. But once the Cold War ended, and I'm giving just a, a, a a background that is not just for space, but in general for the relationship, diplomatic relations between Israel and India, which I think is, is of significance here. So the, once the Cold War ended, that opened the door for the opportunities to, for Israel and in, in India to, to flourish their cooperation. And um, formal diplomatic relations began in the early 90s. Uh, I don't remember if it was 92 or 94, but that exactly, that, that, that is, um, you know, the, the, the time frame. And soon thereafter, a scientists from both sides began uh, in dialogue. And that, that is the point where um, we, can, we, can, we can put the finger on the beginning of the relationship with Israel and India, also in space. Their first motivation was to talk about space from the national security considerations. But later it evolved also to other fields. Um, in more than 10 years ago, uh, one of Israel's Texar satellites was launched from, from India. And there was always dialogue between, between the two countries. Right. And when you say the 90s and so on, are there any significant political or scientific figures who were involved in uh, these conversations or are, you know, I'm just trying to understand if- Yes, uh, yes, yes. Um, actually, I have al I've already mentioned him before. My, my advisor, Professor Isaac Ben Israel, he at the time in the 90s was head of what we call in Israel Mafat, which is the, which is the research and development organization under the Ministry of, of Defense. And, and he, um, he met uh, Abdul Kalam, later president of India, but at the time, Professor Abdul Kalam, at the time he was the head of DRDO um, in India. And, and they had a very, very um, uh, good connection. And I, I think is is that both India and Israel owe a lot to these two uh, who had a good relationship and, and you know, as two scientists, they, they, they really connected and that opened the door for uh, a later dialogue between the two countries. Right, and are there any early projects that you can uh, tell us about that these were possibly the first set of uh, cooperative projects or elements that uh, set the foundation for the future projects? 
they, they actually set connection on a wide range of issues, which space was just one of them. So it's very, it's difficult to put the finger on just one, on, on, on just one project. But as I, as I mentioned before, the, the, this dialogue uh, eventually uh, opened the door to Israel to launch Texar in, uh, in 2008, if I remember right. And, um, and, and to talk to India on other issues as well. Right. And one of the nature of this conversation that I also wanted to understand is from an institutional perspective, how Israel is different from India or similar to India for that matter. India and Israel, I guess, from what you have so, you know, said so far, it's been quite similar with the government leading or government agencies leading the nature of development and technology and everything else. But I also know Israeli state enterprises being involved in defense and space as well, not just like the space agency in itself, right? So you have a slightly different structure to India uh, yes. from what I understand. So can you explain a little bit how or what are the institutions and organizations and how they are exactly involved in contrast to what we have in India, which is ISRO? Yes. Um, as I said before, um, both countries share many similarities. One of them is the, is the strong strategic thinking about self-reliance, okay? But how to reach that? They have two different paths that they've taken. Uh, as you said, Israel um, has uh, space enterprises, okay, or, or let's say defense industries, not just for space, but in, but in general. And the way the system uh, operates in Israel is that the government is, uh, is managing the process, is providing the, the strategy what, and the needs, but then in coordination for project, but the actual development is in the industry, is in the enterprises. And there are very close connections between those circles, government, academia, and industry who work very much uh, and together. And, uh, and I say it very humbly, I don't, I, I hope I'm not an expert on India, but to, to my understanding, in, in India, the, the system works differently. And that is that DRDO, for example, is involved in actual development. Um, and the development is in-house within the government institutions and not so much involving uh, industries from the outside. So I think this is the main difference between the two countries in, in the way that they actually implement the technological development and the flow of the know-how. In Israel, everything flows uh, between government in um, academia in the industry and also taking the advantage that the country is very small both in terms of the population and geography so it's easier to manage uh, and India being such a large country with such a ge geographically, I, I speak, and also population. So it's much difficult, um, I believe, to manage. So most of the um, research and development 
um, up until now was within the government. And to my understanding, this is also uh, changing now in India, or at least there is an attempt to change that. So we may see some something different developing in Israel, in, in India. Right. And one of the interesting aspects there is um, how do you make, especially when government drives industries or you know, government agencies are driving industries, or even, for example, in cases like China or wherever, where you have state-owned enterprises, even in India, you have many state-owned enterprises as such. Yes. To, to have them be efficient is a challenge because, um, you know, there's no shareholder beyond the average citizen there anyways, you know, in terms of accountability and to have commercial, real commercial value to be driven through the success of those enterprises are very different from the US where, for example, a lot of it, you know, boils back to the shareholders creating the pressure for the companies to succeed and to export and everything else. They bring different dynamics against, you know, state-owned companies for that matter, uh, given the job security that state-owned enterprises give to its employees and, and so on. So it may easily, you know, be not as rigorous in technological development and advancement as pure commercial companies that are doing a lot of these things. So how does Israel manage some of its companies? For example, you know, it could be Elbit, it could be IAI or whatever, XYZ companies that are extremely technologically advanced and at the same time still quite efficient considering other maybe state-owned enterprises and other parts of the world and so on. So what creates the checks and balances for these enterprises to be efficient and to deliver what they are promising to deliver? First, uh, the, the, the process in Israel was that indeed at the beginning, these, were, um, these entities were working under the government, but that's very far away in time. Uh, this is how Rafael was, was uh, in, you know, starting and later IAI. Elbit is a private company and also Rafael uh, went through a process of privatization. And I think this is where the, um, we, can, we can see the change in making them more, more efficient and IAI is also on its way. So, um, so yeah, I think when, when we're looking at that, I think first of all is that indeed the development is not done within the government installation. It's all only in the industries. So this is one thing. Second is that um, the, at least in the space, program, um, most of the years there was no in-house competition. Once in the 80s, it was decided that IAI is going to be the main contract, the primary contractor for for the program, then all other enterprises had their share, but IAI was leading and there was not much of a competition as of that point. I'm not talking about prior to that decision, which they were competing for who will be primary contractor. But once that was decided, then there was not much of a competition. So there was much more cooperation on on programs and in project and each enterprise had its uh, specialty and and could develop its own expertise. Now we are facing um, uh, more competition 
between between the companies. First of all, because space uh, economy is expanding and changing, and there's much more opportunities than we've had before. And and second, because um, they have most of them have went through the process of privatization, so they need to be much more efficient with with the project that they take on. So, um, but I I would say that. Israel provide the Israeli enter, space enterprise provides good products, but most of them are tailor-made. Um, and it's still facing difficulties in uh, you know in, in, in what I would call full commercialization of their products. It's not space is hard. It's hard developing and it's hard on the commercial part. And I think this is something that Israel still needs to, to achieve, to overcome. And this is where I see a great potential for cooperation between Israel and India, because they have complementary uh, capabilities and assets. And once, once the cooperation you know, really takes on, um, we, we can see great things for Israel and great, many great things also for the Indian market as well. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, there's a lot of the other areas that come into the space fold as well, because Israel is a technologically advanced country in many other areas, including agriculture, you know, desalination plants, extremely uh, interesting areas that have an implication for space or can take technology from space as well. And that's also an interesting area. Do you have any recommendations on uh, any you know, material that is already out there on how Israeli space technology has affected other sectors in Israel and making them advanced? It's, it's uh, interesting that you raised this issue. Just uh, uh, last month, November, there was a, there was a large conference, um, a, the Tech Summit in Bangalore in India, and there was a session, a joint session between ISA, Israel Space Agency, and ISRO. Uh, and the session was about repurposing. How do you take... Um, other fields like uh, you know radiation, agriculture, pharmaceutical, and you bring them to space. Uh, as I like to say, bring Earth up to space and bring bring space down to Earth. So that session presented um, several Israeli companies that have done this shift, or, or not shift, but maybe we should say repurposing or expansion of their thinking, which also includes uh, space now. And one example is a, is, an, is a very interesting company named Stemrad, and they are developing special uh, vest for um, uh, protection from radiation. And they began with uh, protection on earth. And now they've also, they, they have developed a unique product, a vest that they call the Astrorad, which is intended for astronauts to wear while they are, they are in space. And as we speak, one of these vests is in the ISS up on the, on the space station, and astronauts are uh, experimenting on this vest. And, um, and next year, on the first Artemis 
mission to the moon, there will be, will be a joint um, research experiment in co collaboration between Israel, Germany, and, and the US to examine these vests on two, on two puppets and see, and the sensors on them will, will examine the, the vest. And if, and if that, everything goes well, it will be a wonderful breakthrough for protecting astronauts uh, in the future. That's a fascinating, fascinating. Uh, aspect to look forward to for sure. Let's talk a little bit about the institutional nature of uh, decision-making. And yes. the goal that I am trying to understand here is uh, who sets the mandate for Israeli actors to take a certain direction. In India's case, it is, let's say, the Space Commission that overlooks most of the development of ISRO in that sense. And given that uh, you know, the Space Commission is also headed <coughs> by the chairman of ISRO, there's potentially some conflict of interest there in, in India's case, for example, right? So what are the you know, policy setting institutions in, is, in Israel? Um, maybe, and also, you know, is that coming from the president's office or is there a separate commission and so on? Okay, so in, in Israel, there is separation between the military or defense program and the civil program. Although, as I said before, it's a very small community, so everybody knows one another. But, but in terms of the institution, it's, 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 uh, it's divided, it's, it's not together. So, so we have the space program under, uh, under the Ministry of uh, Defense. Uh, and they belong to, to the Research and Development Directorate of the Ministry of Defense. It's a unit there. Um, so they, they uh, this is one, one path for decision-making. And the other path is the agency, the Israel Space Agency, and that itself is under the Ministry of Science and Technology. So here you can see the two, the two branches. Um, so one is under the Ministry of Defense and the other is under the Ministry of Science and Technology, but they, sh they are in constant dialogue to, to make sure that there are no duplications. Um, and also involved, uh, very much involved is the Ministry of, uh, of Foreign Affairs with everything that has to do with the multilateral um, and actually also agreements on, on bilateral uh, cooperation, Israel's activities on COPUS, the Committee on Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, and also involved um, in the processing, not just, not really in the policy making, but more in the processing, is the um, Israel Innovation Authority also, uh, but that's uh, implementing the policy. So, um, and, and when, whenever there are uh, in initiatives, international multilateral initiatives that we, then we have um, a ministerial task force, interministerial task force that brings people together, experts from all of those institutions. I, I had the privilege of being part of such a, such a task force um, in the past. So this is how decisions are being made. 
Right. And you talked about privatization of some of these earlier state-owned uh, enterprises. And this is because uh, one is, of course, to drive their efficiency in itself. But was there a larger goal where you saw that the country is kind of making progress technologically and you know, potentially to export a lot of the technological developments to gain a lot from the investment made or uh, it was just basically to make the institutions. I'm trying to understand when or if there is already a mindset of uh, commercialization of space in Israel um, and to what extent. So, because, you know, of course you, the, the technologies that have been created, the, the foundation that has been laid, it can be easily exported to several other countries, several other you know, uh, geographies, uh, both in hardware and other services as such. So uh, privatization uh, began in the 80s, uh, but that has to do with the larger processes and practices in Israel that, that are related to the financial situation and technological situation at large. Not, not necessarily from the perspective of space alone, but it affected also the space sector. Right, and is there a sense of um, how big this Israeli space economy is? Because we people talk about you know space economy in the US, people talk about space economy somewhere else, but it's very hard to put numbers into perspective for places like India, China, or, or I don't know what is it in terms of Israel, for example. So in in numbers, it's when I when I will give you the numbers, you'll see it's it's not much, but then we have to remember that it's all uh, relational because Israel itself is very very small. Okay, we are a country of nine million people. Um, so Israel's space sector, space economy. Um, at large, I would say it's between thirty to forty different companies on the supply chain with large companies, SMEs, and, and now in the, in the, let's say, last decade, also startup companies, diverse uh, projects. So, um, so that, that, would, that would be the, the space economy in Israel, comprising of a few thousand people uh, working and uh, between 30 to 40 com different companies on the supply chain. Right. It's, 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 it's a progress. I would like to see it flourishing and expanding. And I hope next decade will be, will be this kind of a decade for the space sector in Israel. And, and for that sense, um, the dialogue that is now going on between the Israel Space Agency and Israel I think has a great potential for both countries to expand on their national space economies. Is there a monitoring of uh, how much the space impacts jobs or how much it brings us tax revenues or any of this in Israel as well? Because from what I see, this is something that I don't see happening in India, where um, the lens that people often take is the older lens of um, strategic or capability lens where you establish that capability but that lens for me is now a little bit old because um, it's 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 outlived because those baseline foundations and capabilities have been established and now the question is what are you going to do with it and uh, how are people who have invested over 
40, 50 years of tax money into all of this are getting a return by either your capabilities being used within your own people uh, in other sectors or outside of your country? I, I, I very much agree with you. And I think that this is another point where uh, both countries have uh, something to share. Um, I, I think that it's the same situation that um, motivation came from, at least in Israel, from security, from strategic considerations. And now we need to also go through a conceptual change in accepting that space can bring much more to the economy, much more to the community in terms of, uh, you know, for commercial activity, but also as an enabler for many uh, applications and services. Um, we are not yet there, and I think there is a long way uh, still ahead of us. But as I look at the projects that came out of Israel in the last decade, I, I think there's great potential because there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are um, fascinated by space um, and they have the courage to, to, pull, to, to, pull, to pull it through. Um, we can name Bereshit, which is one of the, you know, very famous project that came out of Israel a few years ago. Uh, and it, be, it began all at the same time in 2010. This is, this is about the, the, the time that things have really started to change in Israel in terms of um, civil space activities. This is the year that we've published the first um, recommendations for an Israeli space civil, civil space policy. That was 2010. And several startups began their way uh, after that. Um, this, is, this is actually also the about the time that things started to move also abroad in the world. If we need to, you know, to, to put the finger on when exactly new space began in the world, it's that decade. It's 2008 and 2010 and onwards. So I think in Israel, it's the same timeline, but, but the process is very slow. It's, it's not as fast as it, it was in the US or in the UK, for example. And I think um, that the government could have put space much more on the agenda in Israel. Uh, and I hope that it will, it will do so in the future. But Israel currently faces um, severe political problems um, that has nothing to do with space, but affect space sector as it affects other sectors as well. Right, and you talked about the formation of the Israeli Space Agency. I want to get a timeline on that uh, as to when the Israeli Space Agency was formed and what is its mandate? Is it uh, to encourage these private companies to come up and build stuff or is it to have its own capabilities? Does it have its uh, own scientists building any technology or is it more a policy setting body or a direction setting body? Okay, so officially the, the agency was, uh, was formed in 1983, uh, but up until 2010, it was very small and it didn't have um, an actual policy guidelines for, for civil activities, for civil applications and development. 
Um, and that changed in 2010. Um, a year before that, six months before that, in November uh, 2009, the then President Shimon Peres, uh, he uh, established a task force. It's called the President Task Force for space, civil space applications. And, and um, he put the task force to, to come up with a program how to advance the Israel uh, space enterprise. And I was privileged to be the coordinator of this, uh, of this team. Professor Isaac Ben-Israel headed the team. He at the time was, uh, and still is the chairman of, Israel, of the Israel Space Agency. And he headed that team together with the director general of the Ministry of Science and Technology. And we've had on this task force representatives from all of the relevant research and development institutions in Israel. So from the government, from the industry, from the academia, we've had representatives and we came up uh, with this program, which the Israel Space Agency is currently implementing. And throughout the years, we've had um, several strategic evaluations of the program and you know, doing some fine tuning to that. And so the mandate, the current mandate for the Israel Space Agency is not to develop by itself. As I said before, the development is being done in the industry and not within the national institutions. National institutions provide the policy, provide the vision, the coordination and the funds. Um, and they provide, provide also opportunities, for example, G2G, opportunities, government to government projects, then uh, work is eventually uh, being conducted within the industry. So that provides jobs, it provides opportunities to expand on the technology and knowledge. Um, so this is the role of the agency. And also to coordinate a com competitive grants for the academia, for the industry to initiate their own projects. And another very significant and important um, role for the agency is advancing education and inspiration, I would say, programs for uh, high school children, for actually for children of all ages and for the community as well to, to perform um, outreach to the public on, on scientific prog programs, on, sci on, on space programs, um, and expand also on the international relations of, of Israel on different um, multilateral arenas, such as the, at the UN and, and for example, the uh, Code of Conduct, which was uh, a few years ago uh, under, the, under the spotlight and now it's, uh, it's, it's stopped, but that was one, one kind of uh, process and, and as I said, bilateral negotiations. Right, and you talked about the emergence of some of the commercial companies since 2010. How big is this community as of today? You talked about 30, 40 companies being in Israel already. And out of this, what is the percentage of these new space, new commercial companies? But that is one part of the question I have. The second is, you, you see that uh, even in India, for that matter, there is primarily two sets of new generation or new space entrepreneurs. One is 
people who are quite young who are starting out and directly start out in the new space kind of a realm and the other is people who are traditionally from the space agency or have worked in the space agency who have quit the space agency to start a new space kind of company so can you talk about this from an israel standpoint yeah so in in israel we have we have the same um two groups i would say we have these uh, as you said these young um, very new to the space arena uh, entrepreneurs and and also more um experienced uh, people that uh that matured in the not in the agency because as i said the agency is very small it's a, it's a coordination a more of a coordination organization but matured uh, let's say um at uh, either the industries or uh, military different military units where they were where they were exposed to the potential of space technology and space um, services and applications and they are now um trying uh, on their own i can give you a few a few examples um we've had a uh, um, very interesting uh, in orbit uh, startup called um, effective space which a few months ago um uh, was uh, purchased by astroscale so the entrepreneur behind behind that startup uh, was the director general of uh, the space factory of iai space division at, at iai um and there are other examples as well um sky and space global their um uh, their top level people came from also from the industry and on the other side you 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 can look for example at the bereshit at space il uh, project they are not, they were not founded for commercial commercialization of space uh they were competing on the google lunar x prize and later on uh, shifted when that when that competition ended uh they shifted to 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 making their own project eventually and they they pushed a lot for education and inspiration for young people and and they themselves did not mature out of the industry or at least or at least had a very short experience uh due to their young age also right what is your sense of uh, the struggles of new space in israel what do you think that they struggle with at the moment i think they struggle with the need for a clear vision of the government i think that often uh, we in the space community not in israel but in globally speaking we tend to look at new space as something very independent of state installations and i think this is not the reality the reality is eventually that this industry this space um global space activity very much needs the government actors still um the role of the government has changed has shifted um being much more of um helping to navigate rather than actually sitting at the driver seat 
um, but the governments are, are still very dominant and very important actors in this ecosystem. And so I think uh, a clear vision of where you're going, what you want is something that is very important for a private uh, space sector in a country and also in Israel, I would say. Um, I think Israel uh, space sector needs uh, better regulation at the moment uh, to, pro to provide more stability. Um, and, and, um, and this is something currently on the agenda. The space agency has started to progress towards um, a space, space act or space law for Israel. So I think that would make, once they achieve that milestone, that would be a wonderful and very significant uh, thing for the, for the Israeli space sector. And of course, funds, you know, funds is something that is very, very much important. But I think eventually that vision and regulation is no less important. Uh, and, the go and governments can do a lot uh, with, with um, helping the, their private sector, the, their ecosystems through, through, through that. Um, and that doesn't need that. And that doesn't mean necessarily providing the funds. So there's a lot to do even with even with the very modest budgets. Um, so this is where I where I think the currently the Israel space sector stands. I see a lot of again parallels here, you know, with India with our own space act coming into play, the new policies putting into place, new institutions like in space being created for all the new space uh, people to get some support. Again, you know, fascinating parallels. Yes, and, and you know, very and often I hear, how can you compare Israel and India? Okay, um, and and I have to to advocate for that. So to people to to understand that although these two countries are very different in terms of size, in all other aspects, they are they are very very similar. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can see that through now in the last uh, few minutes that we've had this conversation as well. So many interesting parallels that uh, have come into, into play with all of this. Uh, but of course, you know, when you talked about Israeli space agency working with Israel and so on, I'm guessing this is more, again, bringing the G2G cooperation into fold. I'm doubtful as to how much of that, at least on the Indian side, will trickle down to companies and you know new space enterprises and all of these things. So the cooperation, at least on the Indian side, might largely be restrictive to ISRO's own participation. And I'm guessing that eventually, although Israeli Space Agency is setting the framework on the Israeli side, that the delivery of a lot of that and the work for a lot of that will be done by Israeli industry. The, for on Israel's side, this is this is how it works. This is how it goes. Yes, um, but uh, and 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 yes, this Indian government or Israel, they need to to make their own decisions on how they want to proceed. But I think there um, there is a good dialogue going on at the moment between the two countries. It it really um, flourished after Modi's um, visit to Israel a few years ago. 
an Indian prime minister. And um, a year ago, the Israel Space Agency and Israel, they signed a cooperation agreement and they started cooperating on, on um, electric propulsion. And in the near future, maybe there will be other opportunities on atomic clocks and, and other uh, subsystems and components. So I think there, there is a great potential for the two countries to work together. And what I would very much like to see in the near future is perhaps um, a get together between, between the two countries uh, facilitated by, by the space agencies of both countries, but in which uh, industries from both sides can, can start dialogue and can uh, present their products and capabilities and seek the opportunities and where can they actually cooperate and work together. Maybe that is uh, something that both agencies can provide for their markets and for their uh, sectors and let the industries take it from, from there and start cooperation. Because G2G is eventually very much led, G2G projects are very much led by by the government institutions, but I think also the agencies should provide the opportunities for B2B uh, projects. And, and hopefully soon, a global situation will improve with the COVID-19 that everybody suffers, and there will, will be opportunities to actually meet in person in Israel and in India for uh, representatives of, of both sides, from the industry of, the, of both sides, to seek um, fields where they can cooperate. And I think that will open the door for Indian industry to come to the Israeli market and vice versa. Right, I have two follow-ups here to you, which are on two different fronts. One is um, on the government front, which is, um, you know, you see how in, France is cooperating with India, for example, now. It's uh, interesting how their cooperation has matured to a different level over the last 50, 60 years with now, you know, France and India also doing pot potentially joint constellation missions in maritime security and other areas uh, to, to, to take that cooperation from initially some component exchange, like you talked about electric, you know, thrusters and atomic clocks and so on. So do you see... Uh, a future where on the G2G front, you can have, I don't know, like for example, the Navic, the Indian uh, GPS constellation that India has established, also work with Israel, for example, uh, to establish an independent capability outside of the US uh, capabilities that countries like India and Israel can share or even remote sensing capabilities uh, or other capabilities in communications and so on. Um, could be possible on that front to mature to that level where you have joint missions and not just uh, some, you know, small hardware kind of uh, exchange. That's on the government front. But what is the case you see also on the industry front, independent of the government? Are, are there any foundations that can be laid or who can lay these foundations for more business to business exchange, direct business to business exchange? Uh, between new space in Israel and let's say new space in India? I have to admit that I am not sure that I follow you on exactly what 
what you mean. So maybe you want to explain. Okay, let's let's break this down. Um, if there is a cooperation between, like G two G cooperation now between Israel and India, at the moment you talked about the sub uh, the electric thrusters and yes. know, the atomic locks, right? Mm -hmm. So do you see this maturing to a satellite level like for example india and israel are going to produce some satellites together under some framework i can talk about my my vision you know how right. how how i would like to see that yes. of course i would like to see something like that mature um i think it will take time though but i think we can we can look at where both countries have interest and also have already experience and heritage and that can be uh, and that can come together and that is traveling to the moon india is is has done that and and israel has done that and actually at the same year um, and also almost similar results okay quite disappointing results uh, if we are talking about similarities. So maybe both countries can do something together to upset, the, to offset that and make sure that they actually do go to the moon. And both countries have managed to prove that although going to the moon is difficult, is hard, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it can be done. And it can be done with modest, budgets. And, and if I just uh, remind our, our uh, audience that uh, the Bereshit, the Israel's uh, moon lander, was not uh, um, conducted under the government. It was a pure, um, let's say, new space project because government was involved, but um, was involved on a very minor um, level. So, so maybe this is this can be uh, something to look at into the future and see how can we bring entrepreneurs from both countries to overcome their difficulties, each in their own in each in their country. But once they are joined together, they can they can do it. So maybe maybe a. Uh, a joint moon lander or mouse lander. Right, that would be exciting for sure. Uh, from a purely policy perspective, innovation in policy kind of perspective, uh, do you see a case for having policies that enable new space actors to cooperate between both the sides? Because I haven't really seen any countries, you know, any countries, including the US, uh, France, or any other countries as well, really set policies or initiatives that enable new space actors to cooperate between each other directly without the intervention of uh, state actors so much, right? So do you see any policy innovation there happening uh, and maybe you know between India and Israel as well? I don't know about Israel and India. Let me say something um, more general about that. And I think that has a lot to do with how governments conceptual, conceptualize space and how do they conceptualize space power. 
and um, space power has changed. The conception of that has changed in the last decades from something that has been very much related to the Cold War, very much strategic and based on actual government capabilities and very visible capabilities that can be projected, such as launching into space, uh, you know, moon missions and, and so forth. And I think with the, with the technological advancement and also the privatization and commercialization of space, um, I think also the concept of what is space power has changed. Um, but something has not changed. And, and, and the thing that has not changed is space being a strategic field and being very significant to national power. And that I mean, not just military and defense, but national power in general, the ability to create security, wealth and influence for your country. And, and that has not changed. How to reach that? What are the components? That has changed. And today it's much more um, leaning on commercialization and privatization and the national ecosystem. And I think this is why we don't see these kind of initiatives that you're talking about, because it's, each country is still observing space as something that is very critical for its own capabilities, assets, and future influence on, on world politics. So actively advancing um, such uh, technological diffusion, I think is very much difficult for, for, for governments to do. So what we need to, to face is to or to hope for is that they will not restrict that as as you know as political global political tensions continue to rise and space still remains a very much um, strategic domain right I one hope, of the fascinating I hope I, I hope I answered that yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and it's um, it's an interesting observation to make in the next few years as to how this will evolve for sure uh, but I'm always, you know, fascinated by a lot of the progress that Israel makes, you know, in, in that sense. And one of the fascinating things is to note that a high school in Israel built a satellite and sent it and, uh, you know, was involved in such a mission. I think that's incredible. And uh, I really want to learn how, you know, how can a high school be involved in building a, a satellite and, uh, you know, flying it? That's a good question. Um, so first, I've already sat, uh, launched three satellites, um, and I think that at least the second one, and if I remember correctly, also the third one, but, it, but for sure the second one, Duhifat 2, was launched from India. Um, so, so here another uh, form of, uh, of cooperation. Um, so first of all, there's a lot of vision and, um, and, and great significance that is being attributed to education in Israel and to scientific education. And if we have talked before about the people, so it's eventually it's all about the people. 
And when it's the same people that advocated for space program for Israel that also advocated to, for bringing space to, to schools. And if I mentioned before Professor Chaim Eshed, who was the head of the um, program, the space program at the Ministry of Def Defense from the beginning and up until a decade ago. So he's one of those people who pushed forward for bringing these kind of projects to high schools. Um, so it, it takes a lot of cooperation um, um, in, in, within the country. Okay, to, and as I said before, in Israel, because we are a very small community, so we have academia, government, and industry working together. So because it's such a small community, it's, it's much more easy to um, advance this kind of projects. And what we've seen is we've seen engineers going from uh, the industries and to these high schools and working with those kids uh, and top people from the academia who are leading groups of high schools, uh, high school kids and giving them opportunities to come to their labs. I have a very close friend, uh, Dr. Maman, in uh, Ben Gurion University, she is heading the, the remote sensing laboratory, and she initiated a wonderful project project that is called She Space, and it's um, for young uh, in high school girls to come to the to come to the lab and do the actual scientific work with the data that is coming from satellites. So I I think giving the opportunities to those children to be actually involved and get a sense of how actual work is being done in the lab and in the industry. I think this is the way. Yeah, I think we could also learn quite a lot uh, from Israel on that front, uh, especially you know, with such active involvement of uh, strike from people from high school. It's, it's kind of fascinating to, to see all of this uh, as well. So, but if I may, I, I, I just wanna, I just want to complete something that I said before, and, and now I, I, I feel that it's not really completed. Uh, you asked me about the, a new space and the strategic application you know, vision and how that goes together. And, and if we are to see more cooperation between countries on, on new space, and I think eventually even uh, or because the conceptualization of space power has changed, there will be an actual need for this kind of cooperation. And why is that? Because as we go into the future, I think the vision will be to create a space economy and not just um, having space products supporting the economy that we have currently on Earth. But if we are, as, as a species, we are to evolve into a space economy, then that will mean actual um, economic life between the Earth, the Moon, and other celestial bodies. And for that, there will be a need to create um, what we call today globalization on Earth, but something else um, for creating a, a community life, commercial life uh, between different countries that involved also uh, living in space. So I think eventually the, we, we will not be able to avoid 
cooperation. And those countries who will be able to identify at an early stage this need and open the door for this kind of commercial cooperation will, will be better off eventually and, and will get more privileges and more uh, gains in the future. Right. And in fact, you know, I have been trying to get this project off for mapping the space economy in India, because we have a sense of how much the government spends on the space sector, uh, since yes. those numbers are anyways public, and we don't really have such a big military space program, it's mostly civilian, those numbers are at least uh, available for us. But it's very hard to map how many companies are there, how many jobs are being created, how much of export is happening, what is the contribution of space into agriculture or other sectors, how much productivity all of that is creating in those sectors. Unfortunately, we haven't really had any exercise that is comprehensive or can create a framework where you can update those numbers on a yearly basis. And you can tell this is the impact of space on our economy in India, right? And I'm trying to get that project off for you know, a, lot, a couple of years now, and it's very hard to get that off the ground. It's very hard. I can imagine. In Israel also, it's very hard. Right. And I think that's where, uh, you know, there could be some academic cooperation uh, on the Israeli and the Indian side, especially because India has extremely good uh, academic institutions involved in uh, social and management studies. And uh, unfortunately, we have not had them, uh, you know, look at this from this lens of mapping space economies and they've mapped other things, you know, they've gone on to map uh, the IT industry or the biotech mm -hmm. industry or other industries which are more prominent, but none of them have gone on to study the space industry too much or too far. And I, I see uh, potential possibilities for uh, academic cooperation, uh, you know, at that level. I welcome that very much. So I think it will, it, I think it will make a, a very important contribution because the, the, usually when people talk about space, they talk about the US, about Europe. Um, not often do they talk about India, about Asia, about the, the Middle East, about other global arenas. And, and, but there is a great activity going on in, in those places. So yeah, I welcome that very much. Yeah, so I think this is a good point for beyond the podcast itself. I think uh, this is something that I'll definitely follow up with. Uh, with you and hopefully, you know, I've been trying to put together a team in India that can do this with professors uh, from different institutions involved. So I think um, uh, this is a topic that I'll definitely follow up with you okay, post the good. podcast in itself. Wonderful. My door is always open for that. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the final question, I've taken a couple of hours of your time, you know, today, this morning uh, with all of this. Thank you so much for being generous, you know, with your time for in this conversation. It's been quite insightful. I'm sure that many of the listeners of this podcast will also find it very fascinating. And I'm sure that almost nobody would have thought of this parallels that we discussed on so many different fronts as well. So final question, I guess, is um, where do you see Israel heading in the next five or 10 years? And where do you see Israel-India cooperation heading in the next five or 10 years? I would very much like to see um, India and Israel going, I would very much like to see India progressing more um, into um, civil uh, projects, doing much more on the front of new space, pushing forward for applications, for services, and um, 
bringing other um, fields in which Israel is very advanced and unique uh, and incorporating those activities into the space activities or doing the opposite, meaning bringing space capabilities uh, to those two other uh, domains um, eventually in order to advance economy and advance science uh, and education in Israel. This is what I would like, uh, would like to see. I would like to see the Israel space ecosystem being much more um, prominent on, on the global scene. The, this is what I would like to see. And, and in that sense, I think that cooperation with India uh, may bring great potential for Israeli market, but also for the Indian market. Because as I said at the beginning, both countries have complementary capabilities, uh, but they just need to find the right way to do it. Uh, but both of them can, can reach very high together. So thank you very much for taking so much time. And, uh... You're welcome. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to your audience. To, uh, and I welcome any response from, from the audience. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, this is almost like uh, reading a book in itself because uh, the hour-long conversation actually sets so much context to learning more about uh, Israel and India in that sense. So I'm sure that uh, people who want to study India and Israel in the future can refer to this and say they can get a lot of insight from, from this. Yes, I, 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 I believe so. And, and whoever is listening and wants to further uh, expand their knowledge about the connections between Israel and India and the parallels between these two countries, um, I, I have a chapter on that in my book, The Power of the Space Club where I uh, compare Israel and India in their uh, efforts, at least at the beginning, uh, bringing together these two um, programs. I'll definitely include the book itself, the link to the books itself oh, in the you. podcast uh, thank you know, you. Uh, show notes so people can check that out. So again, so thank you very much for taking so much time. My pleasure, really. And, and again, as I said before, thank you for your patience. I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed it. It was wonderful.